Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That Williams guy here again for First Person Safety. And I want to take a moment to discuss how this show, such that it is, began. Initially, my intent was to post short video clips to to hopefully inspire a little critical thinking, if that's possible on the internet, and some dialogue. Chris Seipert of Citizen Defense Research had an excellent response to the first such video, and I asked him to send me a clip of his own in response that could be shared, and a comment on Chris's video led to Caleb Causey of Lone Star Medics providing a clip. My second video led to a discussion that was too long for a short clip, so Eric Gerlhaus of Cougar Mountain Solutions and I did a Zoom interview, and that turned out to be a much more simple way of recording the content than swapping video clips, and all of a sudden I was getting emails and texts about my podcast, and this is why I jokingly refer to it as the accidental show. This audio podcast episode will be the audio from the first so-called Stop and Think video, along with both Chris and Caleb's responses, and I'm packaging this audio together in this format uh, to set the stage for an upcoming episode with Caleb in which we discuss range response plans. Uh, Before I roll that audio, I want to thank those of you who provided that feedback uh, that encouraged this endeavor. It's been fun for me to allow a greater audience into all of the dinner conversations and phone calls that take place within the firearms world and But as I was organizing these thoughts, I was struck by something else. Um, I remember my grandfather, uh, when I was a little boy, he had a reel-to-reel tape deck. And he would sit in his room and he would record his thoughts on topics. And then he would mail that tape to a friend who would record his thoughts on the topic and send it to the next person on the list. And that same tape would go around that whole circle of friends and which they would all record their thoughts and it would come back and my grandfather would sit there in his little little man cave and listen to those tapes and you know it occurs to me that uh, this whole podcast thing and and youtube and all just it's just no change than that this is just this is the technology of the day doing what they did back in the 1970s with a real real tape deck because that's all the technology they had And uh, Papa, I miss you, and I guess I got more from you than just your name. But uh, it also strikes me that, you know, the farmer's world is really no different than that. A lot of gun stuff gets recycled as the terminology, excuse me, as the technology changes. You know, we just keep reinventing the same things. Uh, And with that, here goes this episode. One other quick note. Uh, the first few stop and think videos that I did, I did record at a local city park with a camera and a microphone, but uh, there is some background noise in those videos. And I uploaded those files to Anchor, which extracted the audio to be able to put them out in this audio podcast format. And some of that background noise is amplified 
And remember, I'm just a guy in my kitchen putting all this together. I am not a professional at podcasting or video creation. And I don't know how to get all that out of there. So um, bear with me or not. So thank you. Hello, I'm Lee from First Person Safety, and this is the first in what will be a series of sporadically posted videos. In this series of videos, I'll ask questions. Sometimes it's because I want to know what you think. Sometimes it's because I'm going to challenge conventional wisdom. Well, this is one of those in which I'm going to challenge conventional wisdom. And it has to do with that thing we do in safety briefings at training classes. Now, this thing happens when we get to the point of the safety briefing in which the instructor talks about making a 911 call in the event of an injury. If the instructor doesn't say it, a helpful student is always on hand to pipe up and say, be sure to say it's a training accident, not a shooting. Well, let's examine that. Um, do you think the 911 operator might ask, what kind of training accident? What kind of training were you doing? And if they don't ask that question, or if they ask a follow-up question, what's the nature of the injury? Also, in these days of enhanced 911, in which data comes in from phone companies, matching addresses and phone numbers, and you're going to give an address when you make the 911 call, that if the address of the local range pops up, that, I don't know, inferences may be made. I understand the, mo the motive or the thought behind um, this feel-good nature, but uh, folks, are we really accomplishing anything? I don't know. Let's stop and think. Just be sure to start again. Lee from First Person Safety. Hello, I'm Lee from First Person Safety, and the other day in the first of my Stop and Think series, I posted a video about um, making a 911 call in the event there's been a range injury or accident. And as I was hoping, that video prompted some good discussion. You can find that here on the Facebook page or the YouTube channel. Uh, Chris from Citizens Defense Research uh, responded with a very well thought out answer. And Chris was kind enough to record a video of what he had to say in response to the questions I was asking and I'm going to roll that video for you here in just a second and then I'll be back with some additional commentary and some points. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Seifert with Citizen Spence Research. I just wanted to take a minute to respond to Lee Weems from First Person Safety uh, who posed a really good question about uh, the safety briefing that we do at ranges and range classes where whoever's calling 911 is told don't ever say that someone's been shot. You say there's been a training accident, you don't say that someone's been shot under any circumstances. Uh, he raises the question on whether or not that's realistic because obviously the dispatcher's going to have follow-up questions, they're going to need to know the nature of the injury. If you're already at a gun range, it's probably going to be assumed. Uh, and, and his question is whether or not that makes a lot of sense. And, and uh, and he raises a great point. And, and so for me, my, my background, uh, when I was uh, active duty military, I was a special force medical sergeant. I've come up with some range plans and some range uh, emergency action plans and medical plans before. And 
And so I agree with the concept behind the rule he's talking about, but the rule's been oversimplified. It's what I call reductivism, where we take a, a good concept and then we reduce it down to a single sentence or a single rule without a lot of reflective thought in order to simplify it as we communicate it to people. The problem is, is that a lot of times the original concept is lost. The concept in this case is you don't want to delay care and the arrival of EMS and next level medical care by making the dispatcher and therefore responding law enforcement and EMS think that someone has been shot in a, a criminal uh, malevolent situation where uh, there is potentially still a threat. There was a shooter on scene. Has a shooter been apprehended? And so what you don't want is for police to show up and clear the range while the EMS sits around the corner when really, obviously, the scene is safe. So what you're really trying to communicate to uh, responding officers in EMS and, and the 911 uh, emergency response system is that the scene is safe, all right? is just simply repeating there's been a training accident the best way to do that. Um, you definitely need to let them know it is a training accident and the scene is safe, um, but at the end of the day, if you just verbal loop and just say the same thing over and over instead of answering their specific questions, you're gonna be delaying care anyway. And really at that point, it doesn't matter whether the care is delayed because they, you know, they're sending uh, police to to clear the range or if it's just because you're on the phone obstinately refusing to say the nature of the injury. So my recommendation uh, is that you, you do, you say, hey, there's been a training accident on the range. Someone has suffered a gunshot wound to the leg or whatever it is. The scene is safe. Um, all guns are secure and the scene is safe for EMS to arrive on scene and begin treating the person that needs help. Okay. So don't don't let reductivism reduce this concept of communicating scene safety to EMS and answering their questions in the order that they're asked stop you from, you know, to counter counterproductively actually delay uh, treatment um, in the way that uh, you're trying to avoid to begin with, all right? So definitely tell them that it's a training accident. Definitely tell them the scene is safe. But, but just a simple rule of like, say this, don't say this, isn't very realistic in the real world. So again, I'm Chris Seibert from uh, Citizens Fence Research. Thanks to Lee Weems from First Person Safety for raising this great question. Uh, and I look forward to uh, um, you know, hearing any feedback on this or any thoughts. Thank y'all, have a great day. Thank you, Chris, for those excellent, excellent pointers. Uh, some things that I have to add is be proactive. Don't wait until there has been an accident or injury before you contemplate how you're going to make the 911 call. Um, be proactive in reaching out to the first responders in your area. Invite them for a tour of your facility so they know how to access it. Uh, discuss with, with your first responders what protocols they want you to follow in the event that you have to make a 911 call and that there's going to be a response to the range. Uh, yeah. This shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. If you're a competition-based facility, work with your, your range safety staff to you know, understand what it means when you signal a ceasefire so that they stop all competitors in all bays and have everyone secure firearms and what needs to be done in such situations. Also, ascertain whether or not lifelike can land at your facility. And if that's not possible, find out from your local first responders where lifelike locations may be, or in the event you're remote, you might have to transport a patient. Where are good meetup points for first responders that would be coming to save the day? Uh, 
So again, be proactive, put some thought in their procedures ahead of time. I'm Lee from First Person Safety. Hello, I'm Lee from First Person Safety and I'm back with another range safety video. You can see the previous videos on the First Person Safety uh, YouTube channel, our Instagram account, and our Facebook page. Tim Kelly from Apache Solutions brought up the issue of heat injuries. I asked Caleb Causey of Lone Star Medics to make a brief video on mitigating, recognizing, and treating heat injuries, and here comes Caleb with that video. Howdy folks, I'm Caleb Causey with Lone Star Medics. And Lee with First Person Safety asked me to give you guys a quick video about mitigating, identifying, and treating heat-related injuries while we're out on the shooting range. So hopefully I get this under 10 minutes. For those of you that know me, I promise I'm not gonna rant and rave all night about uh, drinking water or anything like that. Uh, we are gonna talk about some of the heat, some of the things you can do uh, to prevent it though, okay? And that is drinking water. So you're gonna get some hydration notes in there. But uh, real quick, so let's talk about mitigating um, and preventing these injuries okay uh, and then we'll talk about the different types and levels of them but uh, people ask you know Caleb hey you've been a medic for over 20 years what's the most common injury you've seen and uh, I gotta admit it's been heat related injuries or dehydration uh, it's also one of the most horrific uh, injuries uh, that I've come across to watch someone literally cook their brain and die because of heat stroke uh, it was pretty horrific uh, however it happens to be one of the easiest things to prevent okay uh, so, let's talk about some things we can do for, prevent, for prevention. First thing we need to do is have a plan. So, plan starts with the weather report. As simple as that may sound, hey, yeah, we know it's going to be 110 degrees out there. Okay, great, but it's going to be 110 degrees, and we know that, so check, like, two days before, uh, another couple, then, then, like, 24 hours out before you go to the range, and then maybe, hey, the morning of, before you head out. So, it's going to be 110 degrees out. Great. Okay, well, is there going to be any wind? Is there going to be any thunderstorms that are expected to pop up? Okay. Uh, the weather's going to dictate our next part of the plan is what you're going to wear. Clothing, your shelter, okay? Your shelter that you're taking with you has to be your clothing, okay? It has to be Moloch. So, when you're looking at your uh, your shelter, your clothing, you want loose-fitting clothing. You want uh, moisture-wicking uh, features with that. Uh, you don't want any cotton. Cotton is rotten, okay? So, yeah, it looks cool wearing your favorite, you know, logo t-shirt out there on the range uh, until it gets... Uh, soaked in sweat or if there is a thunderstorm and it rains uh, even in the summertime we get those here in texas and it can drop the temperature down you know 15 25 degrees and then you add on top of that some wind that could be a problem so why cotton's bad is because the cotton fabrics we're gonna look under a microscope basically think of it like that uh the cotton fabric actually uh, absorbs moisture rain or sweat and then it also uh, retains that that moisture so then it sticks to us so in other words we're in a cotton t-shirt running around the range we're basically just walking around with a wetsuit or a bunch of saran wrap wrapped around our body that's not good reason why is it traps that that heat that our body's trying to to offload and get off of our body okay so the key is loose fitting uh and uh excuse me loose fitting uh synthetic material and uh quick drying uh i'm not so worried about if it's uh you know the, the athletic stuff like Under Armour stuff that's really tight fitting. I don't like that because then it doesn't move and doesn't breathe enough and dry off. Uh, that's what I want my clothing to do is to dry off as quick as possible. The quick drying feature is really what you're wanting. Uh, uh, wool is a great uh, you know fabric if you're looking at want to stay natural okay because of skin allergies. Uh, they do make lightweight wool clothing. Uh, it's a little pricier but <laughs> it'll last you forever and they're usually really good quality. Uh, so clothing. 
uh, that'll determine that. Okay, also, uh, let's see. Let me look at my notes here. Uh, let's see, your diet. So not just, hey, I'm gonna start drinking water a couple days beforehand, but also your food, okay? Eat a balanced diet. Talk to your doctor, talk to your diet, your nutritionist. Find out, hey, how much of, you know, every minerals, nutrients, vitamins you should be taking in on a daily, uh, on, on normal daily activity. And then let alone, hey, what am I gonna be doing? Like, hey, Saturday's the big match. I'm gonna be running and gunning. Uh, what do I need to do there? Uh, so maybe I, okay, just eat normal foods, guys, okay? So, you know, your meats, your vegetables, your fruits, okay, those type of things, that's fine. Carbohydrates, they're good too, and they're delicious, okay? Eat a taco, that's fine, okay? You're gonna get some of that stuff. A lot of those minerals, nutrients, and vitamins are gonna help with hydration and help you keep cool while you're up in the, in the heat, okay? Uh, let's see, uh, cooling stations. Another thing that you can plan on is having, hey, maybe some kind of closed environment, like if it's a um, one of the buildings that's out there in the range, uh, and then we can keep the air conditioning cranked up, cranked down pretty low on that, um, or 70 degrees, whatever, just cool enough, cooler than what it is outside. And the idea that's not necessarily a, that cooling station or that room is not someplace where we're gonna go just to hang out. That's not social hour or social tent. That's where, hey, we're gonna keep that room cool or that area cool. Uh, maybe it's a vehicle, at, you know, at the worst case scenario uh, that you keep cold in there. Um, just so that if you do have heat related injuries with people, you can put one or two people in there, cool, help cool them off a little bit, get them out of that hot environment. We'll talk about that with the treatment in a minute. Uh, so the cooling stations can be difficult to do in some ranges, outdoor ranges out in the country and stuff, I get it. Um, Again, with your plan should be medical contingencies. So what has gonna, what are we gonna do if someone goes down as a heat stroke vict, uh, victim or if somebody has muscle cramps or if somebody uh, has heat syncope and goes and faints, okay? We're gonna, we need to know what are our contingencies for that. Sounds good on our head, looks good on paper. Practice those contingencies. Actually have someone lay down on the ground and say, okay, how do we get them to a cooler environment? And uh, usually it's me that ends up having to become the patient on some of these mock-up scenarios. And they're like, why do we pick the big guy? I don't know, it just makes it more entertaining. Uh, so your medical contingencies, again, review them, practice those, work out the kinks and the flaws, find that out during training beforehand. Uh, recognizing heat injuries. Man, I could talk all day about this, but I'm gonna keep it short. Uh, basically, we're looking at the types, there's different types of heat injuries and illnesses, and there's sometimes some levels in there, depending on which textbook we're reading, okay? But basically, we're looking at heat cramps, heat exhaustion, heat syncope, or fainting, fancy Latin word for fainting, and heat stroke. Heat stroke's the worst. Actually, they're all pretty horrible, okay? But, uh, and they're all medical emergencies. Uh, if you, and so we'll talk about the signs and symptoms in a minute, but one key thing I wanna remind everybody, if anybody's experiencing any of these, then it's a medical emergency. This is not a, hey, well, just, hey, rest up a little bit, sip some water, sit in the shade. No, they're done for the day if they experience any of these, okay? Because the only main treatment, which I'll elaborate in a minute, is time. Time is how you treat heat-related injuries. Time in a cooler environment, okay? Uh, but uh, some signs and symptoms of uh, these of heat cramps, heat exhaustion, syncope, and stroke. Uh, first off, the big key thing, uh, first identifying feature of a heat-related uh, injury, is altered mental status. Now, when I say altered mental status, what I'm talking about is someone that's uh, dizzy, lightheaded, um, they're a little, they're maybe a little confused about things. There, there's some, they're uh, displaying some confusion. Uh, let's see, uh, disorientation. Maybe you see them like, hey, I'm gonna go staple those targets up right quick. And they're walking the wrong direction. Okay, so disorientation can be a thing. Uh, 
let's see, do, 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 do. and oh, and unconsciousness. Okay, they're kind of woozy. They're going in and out of consciousness. They start passing out. That's a medical emergency. Okay, so any altered mental status, that's a medical emergency. It's 911 time. They're done for the day. It's hospital time. Okay, they need to get looked at by professional health immediately. Okay, not when we get around to it, not when we break for lunch. Now. Okay. Uh, other than that, uh, the skin, if it's hot, dry, wet, clammy, there's a uh, new podcast that just came out released by, uh, I want to say, Raw Medicine Podcast. And uh, definitely, guys, look them up. Uh, I'll try to get Leah a, a, um, a link for that. Um, it's more at the medic and provider level, but there's still plenty of stuff there for the layperson to pick up uh, as far as uh, heat-related injuries. Uh, so the skin, it's, they're, they're learning that, hey, it's not so much... Uh, if it's they're sweating or they're hot and dry anymore, that's kind of a late sign or it's not really related, they're saying. But uh, seizures, headaches, nausea, vomiting, those are other symptoms of these heat-related injuries. Uh, muscle cramps, heat cramps, obviously. So those heat cramps, those muscle cramps may be in the abdominal region, your tummy area, uh, maybe your, your big muscles like your thighs, okay? Uh, that's what we're talking about, muscle cramps. Uh, elevated body temperature. Obviously, with the pandemic, some of y'all may have access to these thermometers and stuff. Some are good, some are bad, uh, but just zapping somebody with a laser on their head may not give you exact <laughs> core temperature. But if it's obvious that, hey, their, their, their body temperature is elevated, uh, so that might be a thing. But uh, as far as treatment, okay, so if they experience any of those, don't hesitate to call 911. If you are in have, to, have to ask yourself, hey, do you think we should call 911? The answer is yes, and probably 15 minutes ago. So, calling 911 is a thing. You uh, watch Lee's uh, first video about calling 911. Listen to Chris's uh, points about it. What to say to the 911 dispatcher there? Uh, let's see. <laughs> Treatment. Uh, so, calling 911: seizures, nausea, vomiting, slurred speech, anything like that. 911. Uh, for heat stroke, uh, you can immerse the patient or the person in some cool water. Uh, how you're going to do out in the field at some of these ranges, not everybody has a bathtub. Uh, don't set them, just let them sit inside a Yeti cooler or something if you got one of the giant ones. Uh, don't just dump a bunch of ice water all over them either. That's not what we're talking about, just the immersion of them um, or uh, douse them in cool or cold water, okay? Uh, remove the patient from the hot environment is the first thing, though. Get them out of the hot environment immediately, okay? That's not sit in the car in the sun with the AC going. That's like, no, get them into an air-conditioned building. Okay, something with controlled environment. Uh, let's see, loose of restricted clothing. Uh, remove water or uh, sweat-soaked clothing, you know, clothing. So if their t-shirt or their whatever is completely saturated uh, with sweat and water, get that off them, get them a clean, dry shirt or top. Same thing with the pants if they're sweating there. Uh, so remove that uh, clothing if it's uh, completely soaked. Uh, let or make the patient rest, <laughs> okay? Uh, if they keep trying to say, I'll tough it out and I'll suck it up and keep driving on. No, 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 no. You're done for the day. The, don't even come back if it's a two-day match or something. No, you're done. Two-day class. You're done. Okay, you need to stay cool off. It's going to take you a couple days to recover, uh, no matter what level or what type of heat injury you have. Uh, let's see. Drinking cool waters and liquids. Some stuff you can do beforehand. Uh, before the pandemic, uh, I was trying to do some self-studying and find out really what is the latest and greatest about hydration. Uh, and the ways the cells metabolize the, and hydrate themselves and everything. Uh, the pandemic hit, so I had to put that on the back burner. But uh, I will say this from asking around and doing some research, it still sounds like the golden rule is still holds true, is that you need to be drinking about half your body weight in ounces 
of water per 24 hours. So if you weigh say 100 pounds, you need to be drinking 50 ounces of water. So the unit of measure there is pounds and ounces, okay? Uh, so if you weigh 200 pounds, then you need to be drinking 100 ounces of water. Water, water, water. Not any of the overnight elixirs, no tablets of this or mix of that or whatever crystal light flavor you want. No, 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 just water. If you're really concerned about it, because you're gonna get those electrolytes are important, okay? Your body needs sugar, I get it, okay? But it, uh, so if you're gonna drink some of the sports drinks, then hey, your ratio that, that me, Caleb, personally recommends that, has, that I've seen some pretty good results with is usually about a four to one ratio. So for every four things, water size, water, whatever, um, you know, 32 ounce Nalgene's of water that I'll drink, I may drink a 32 ounce of, you know, Powerade or Gatorade or something like that, okay? Uh, but that's while I'm running and gunning towards the middle of the day or the after part of the end of the day. Not something I'm just going to keep chugging Gatorade all day, pickle juice or anything. Water, water, water. Okay, and start drinking water. Maybe, hey, you know you're running and gunning Saturday. Maybe on Thursday you start hydrating uh, correctly. Not preloading or trying to overhydrate, but just start sipping on water the day before. Also, get out and climatize yourself to the heat. Everybody's been locked up, cooped inside for the pandemic, and not everybody's used to, you know, everybody's working at home now or working in the AC and you don't used to running and gunning in the heat. So start taking walks, get out in the heat, mow the lawn and stuff a couple days beforehand, get used to climatizing, that'll help as well, okay? Uh, let's see, so just to re recap, okay? Uh, plan ahead, check the weather, make sure your clothing, your medical contingencies are in, in intact, in order. Uh, know uh, and practice those medical contingencies. Uh, be able to identify uh, signs and symptoms of heat strokes and uh, heat cramps uh, and all those different types. Uh, treat, treat it early and also take it serious. I see it a lot on these rangers where people are like, ah, oh, they'll just tough it out. They'll be okay. They'll sit down and take a break. No. Call 911 if you need to. Don't hesitate and remove them from the hot environment, guys. Uh, and also, drink water. Guys, I'm Caleb Cosby with Lone Star Medics. We hope to see you in class. Please, thank you. Uh, if you guys would, make sure that you guys are following First Person Safety with Lee and go take some of his classes. He's going to be putting out a lot more information. Thank you all. Thank you, Caleb, for that very helpful video. Caleb has classes coming up all over the United States, so be sure to check out the Lone Star Medics webpage and find a class near you so that you're better prepared to deal with any kind of medical issue that may arise. Yeah, there's more to range safety than just preparing for the accidental gunshot wound. We need to be worried about heat injuries. We need to be taking into account issues such as cardiac events. These are all things that we need to be planning for. And I hope this video series is inspiring you to give thought to these important issues.